This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Week 7 of the college football season in the books. Week 6 of the NFL season. Concluding tonight with the Dallas Cowboys up against Los Angeles Chargers as I am recording this. Lots to break down. It was a big, big weekend of college football. Some really big matchups. A lot of stars were performing this week. Lots to talk about. We're going to break it down here this evening uh, on the Saturday Sunday Football Podcast. Let's jump right into it with the NFL Draft Report for Week 7. We'll start with our SS teams of the week, our first string and second string teams of the week. But there's some other stuff to talk about. So after we get through the first and second string, there'll be a couple other things that we kind of talk about that I think are worthy and important in terms of the NFL draft report for this week. So let's start with the first string team of the week. It is Michael Penix Jr. Uh, at the quarterback position, he helped Washington beat Oregon 36-33. He was 22 of 37, 302 yards and four touchdowns. The first string running back of the week from the same game on the other side was Bucky Irving. He had 127 yards and one touchdown. At the wide receiver position, staying with the game, Rome Odunze out of Washington. He was making big plays for Michael Patrick Jr. all game. Eight catches, 128 yards and two touchdowns. And the first string tight end of the week, Cade Stover out of Ohio State, helped Ohio State get the W over Purdue. He had four catches, 53 yards, and two touchdowns. Let's start with Michael Panix Jr. because I had eyes start to finish, watch that entire great game with Oregon. And the thing about Michael Panix Jr. is, is when he has time in the pocket, he's as good of a pocket passer, you know, as we've seen in college football. His ability to throw a touch, throw with anticipation, his ability to push the ball vertically down the field, his release, his mechanics, all very smooth. Panix is going to be a guy who's going to be really intriguing because he's a little bit of a throwback. He's right now, he still tends to have some struggles and difficulty when pressure. And you saw it even in that game when he had time in the pocket, he was almost unstoppable. And when Washington had some moments where you know, their offense sputtered a little bit. It was when they were getting pressure on Michael Paddock Jr. So, you know, we have an NFL right now where O-line play is, is as bad as it ever is. Most teams looking for quarterback usually have a poor O-line in front of them. They want plays, you know, players and quarterbacks to be able to make plays off script, off structure. Anybody who watched the Giants, you know, lose that heartbreaker last night to the Bills. That one play where Josh Allen found, you know, their backup tight end, Morris, for the touchdown, you know, that's a play that, you know, most people are going to say, don't make that pass. But that's the, those are the type of plays that Josh Allen makes. Those are the type of plays that Patrick Mahomes makes. Those special plays. Michael Panic is a guy who, when the, everything is on structure, he's an unbelievable passer. But I do wonder how high his draft stock can take and his draft capital because he's not going to do much with his legs. He's not a guy who really plays off structure, handles pressure right now well. So it's going to be interesting. Does he get put in a game where maybe he's got a show a little bit more, right? I'm not going to say anything's going to happen like C.J. Stroud. But right, that C.J. Stroud-Georgia game really answered a lot of questions for me. And now we're seeing him at the NFL level, even when their O-line has been 
in trouble being able to do that. That's the one thing about Michael Paddock, handling pressure, playing off structure, and, and making things happen when the play breaks down. We just haven't seen a lot of evidence that he can do it. So it's something where, yeah, a lot of quarterbacks j- just aren't asked to constantly play from the pocket. But when he has time, it's really impressive. So there could be some teams that want to still have that traditional pocket passing quarterback and, and say, listen, we have a good offensive line. I'm not saying he's as good as Tua because I don't think he is. But the way Tua is asked to run that offense in Miami, I think Michael Panis could be in an offense like that or the San Francisco offense or some type of offshoot of that. And I could, I could see him being really, really good, a good NFL starting quarterback. He can do what Brock Purdy does. He can do what Tua does with that offense around them. But if you're going to ask him to be one of those elite, elite quarterbacks, I don't think he has that in his repertoire because I don't think he's a guy who's going to handle pressure well or, you know, make plays off structure or off script right now. I think depending on how teams view that and the medicals, we know he has a lot of medical history, that'll impact whether or not Michael Panish Jr. goes round one, round two, or does he fall to like maybe round three? I think that's all in place still. But the more he keeps putting up these performances, it's going to be hard to think he doesn't get out of the, you know, he gets out of the top 50. And can he push his way into the round one mix? You know, his running mate there, Romo Dunze, I think he's locked in. You know, I said it with Keon Coleman earlier in the year. I'm going to go out and say it right now. Romo Dunze, Sharpie him in round one. We're looking at this class now, and we know Marvin Harrison's going in the top 10. I think Malik Neighbors is sharpied in round one. I think Keon Coleman is sharpied in round one. I think Romo Dunze is sharpied in round one. I think all four of those guys, are are they're not getting that around one. And then you you know you have like Mecca and Bukba. You know we we could be talking about five guys penciled in there for round one. But guys like Romo Dunze, guys like Keon Coleman, size, athleticism, you know, body control, ball skills, ability to win vertical, traditional outside, you know, type wide receivers. Those that prototypical X. You don't see that anymore. We don't see that from year to year. And now in this class with Harrison, Odunze, and Coleman, we potentially have three of them. So Odunze continues to put up staggering numbers this year, continues to show the ability, the ability to win vertically, good ball control, good body, you know, ball skills, body control, ability to adjust in high point. I, I think he, he's becoming the total package. And as we talked about with Ken Coleman, yeah, is there some rat refinement? Yeah, that's for a lot of wide receivers. Not a lot of guys come in with really good rat refinement especially if they're like the size, speed, prototypes like these guys. I think teams are going to want chances on guys like Romo Dunze and Keon Coleman. Uh, So those guys, I think, are now stock up, soaring, locking them into round one. Uh, Bucky Irving's going to be interesting. I think he's more of like a late round three, early day three. I think it's going to be a little bit of a down running back class. I think you're going to see a lot of them go somewhere like between like round three and round five. And I think Bucky Irving is, is, is a guy that in today's NFL, Space player, a guy who can maybe handle 12 to 14 touches, be part of a, a work, you know, a backfield, part of a committee, you know, can play on three downs, can 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 run on the perimeter, you know, can be that guy inside draws, stuff like that. And, and, and a pass catcher, I think that's going to be Bucky Irving's game. And then Cade Stover, listen, we know, you know, uh, Jatavian Sanders, Brock Bowers, they're, they're the top of the class. But I think Cade Stover is making a really interesting case that he's in the mix to be the third tight end. He's maybe the most balanced or complete of the tight ends in college football. And we're seeing him put together a really nice statistical year, something we don't usually see from the tight ends at Ohio State. If I take this to the second string team of the week for 
in the NFL draft report. Let's start with the other quarterback in that Washington Oregon game, and that was Bo Nix. 33 of 44, 337 yards and two touchdowns. The second string running back of the week was Audrey Esteem out of Notre Dame. He helped and he really beat up on USC this past week, 95 yards and two touchdowns. The second string wide receiver of the week is Devontae Walker out of UNC. He helped UNC beat Miami. Six catches, 132 yards and three touchdowns, quickly becoming uh, Drake May's go-to guy after he transferred from Kent State. Then it looked like he was going to have to sit out the whole year. And then he was able to come back two weeks ago and he's making his presence felt immediately. And the second string tight end of the week, Shaheen Bell continues to be an integral part of that Florida State offense. Uh, helped them easily beat Syracuse this past weekend. Four catches, 87 yards. Bo Nix, to me, this, the story with Bo Nix is very similar to Michael Paddock. I still think there's some question marks. He's got better athleticism, better mobility than a guy like Michael Paddock. But can he translate that athleticism and mobility to playing off structure, playing on the run, and still being a good decision maker? I think that's still the area where people want to see a little bit more consistency. But you watch Bo Nix play now and you compare him to when he played at Auburn, you're, you would think you're watching two completely different players. The Bo Nix at Auburn, who came in so highly regarded uh, coming out of high school, you know, just he struggled in most facets of the game. And if he wasn't a big time five-star recruit, I don't think people even would have been talking about him based on his performance on the football field. But now he's really morphed himself into a legitimate top 50 candidate in terms of his, his quality of quarterback play. He could push his way to be QB3 in this class. He's going to be an interesting one because he's got the athleticism, he's got the size, he's got the prototype, he's got the arm talent, uh, you know, and people have started to see a lot more consistency with Bo Nix. Talking about Audrey Esteem, I really think it's interesting, you know, I, I saw something that Mel Kuyper has him right now as his RB1 in this class, and I think it's a very, me and Jeff have been talking about it every week. This RB class has not lived up to preseason expectations. You know, Blake Corman's been good, not great. Donovan Edwards is, has, has really not been the impact player that we expected. Breland Allen, Breland Allen has not done much. Raheem Sanders has not done much. Uh, Trey Benson had that one really good game, but he hasn't been as much of a focal point in that Florida State offense. So there's a there's a possibility somebody emerges, and the guy like Esteem's really been, you know, one of the true bell cows and really leading that ND offense. And he's a guy who, you know, when Mel Kiper doesn't just say stuff for the sake of saying stuff, I think he's hearing from some scouts, some NFL people, that they must like his game. Now, again, I'm not sure anybody even goes in the first 50 picks at the running back position, but his team is a guy that maybe is pushing his way into the day two mix, uh, and that's a far stock up from where he was before the season started. Uh, And then Devontae Walker, it's so great to see him getting an opportunity because I was so excited for him when I watched him this summer, and then it sounded like he was going to be suspended for the whole year, but this is the guy... At 6'2", 197, the junior, you know, good to very good athleticism. He's got speed, he's got burst, he's got acceleration to win vertically. Good to very good body control, ball skills and hands. Ability to high point and adjust to win contested catches. I was so excited to see him this year with Drake May and morph into that number one wide receiver for UNC. And that is exactly what he's doing. I had a grade as an early day pre grade on him. But I think he's a guy that could see his stock rise and maybe be even in the round three, round four mix because I think his upside is really high there. And he's going to continue, you know, uh, to be Drake May's go-to guy and put up really potential, you know, strong numbers. And now he's doing it at a much higher level of competition, which is one of the question marks, uh, you know, we obviously had about his game. So really 
strong start to to Devontae Walker's uh, UNC career over the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, making a big impact this past week and helping UNC knock off Miami. A uh, couple honorable mentions and a couple other things that stood out. Before we get to the honorable mentions, two things that I think are really important. Two of the top offensive skill prospects in the 2024 NFL draft, Caleb Williams. You know, I watched that game start to finish. That was the worst game I've ever seen Caleb Williams play. ND seemed to have him confused and rattled. And I think it's just something that, to remember that, you know, there's always ups and downs, right? We saw some downs in Trevor Lawrence when when he was regarded going into his final year in college. And, and I think Caleb Williams is the better prospect than Trevor Lawrence. But this was one game. I don't think we, I think we underestimate a little bit just how poor uh, his supporting cast is. I think he's made up for a lot of it. But they don't have a great run game. They have an average run game. They don't have a great O-line. And, you know, without Jordan Addison there this year, their wide receivers are good, but they're not great. They're not like Ohio State in Ohio State's or Washington. Um, you know, and this game just kind of, he he was pressing a little bit. He was trying to do too much. He saw him to make some bad decisions. Uh, and I think it's sometimes just a, a reality check to realize, you know, even the great prospect, A, have bad games, and two, supporting cast, you know, matters, right? You know, a lot of times people, you know, looked at the Josh Allen college film and critiqued it, you know, really aggressively. And in hindsight, like if you really just stopped and watched the traits that he possessed and didn't worry so much about the statistics and the performances, when you realize just how, you know, underarmed he was when he was at Wyoming, I, I think, you know, you get a better understanding of the prospect. And then Brock Bowers left with, I think, believe it was an ankle injury, uh, his return to action is unknown at this point as I'm recording this. You know, we're talking about the guy who's the projected number one overall pick in Caleb Williams and Brock Bowers, who every week we've been saying it's the top 10, it's the top 15, but that's probably where he's going. You know, you know, two, you know, one a bad game this week from Caleb and then the injury uh, for Brock Bowers will be interesting to see kind of how that plays itself out. A couple honorable mentions from this week that I think are really important to talk about. We talked about, you know, the UNC game, you know, with Walker making a big impact there and helping UNC beat Miami. But Tyler Van Dyke, we talked about him a couple of weeks ago, worthy of talking about again, 31 to 48, 391 yards and four touchdowns. And again, this was a guy that was on the NFL radar, on scouts radar as a potential, you know, first round pick in the 2023 NFL draft. That's how much people liked this game. Obviously, everything that could go wrong last year did go wrong. But, you know, there was a reason why he was regarded that highly. And now he's starting to put it together again and show that 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 growth and development people wanted to see last year. So it's going to be interesting to see how much he can maybe improve his draft stock back up to what, you know, once upon a time, people though with maybe a, around one type quarterback prospect. Shane Sanders, obviously a heartbreaking loss there for Colorado, up 29 nothing over Stanford last Friday night. You know, but Shadu Sanders, again, I don't think he's going to be a part of this draft class because I think he's going to go back to school, stay with Travis Hunter, stay with his dad for one more year, you know, try to try to make Colorado into a real powerhouse next year with another recruiting class and another, you know, transfer portal class. Uh, but, you know, he is draft eligible, you know, 33 of 48 this past week, five touchdowns, you know, finally showed some, you know, rushing production, 37 yards on the ground. I think he has the athleticism to be to use his legs to make plays, too. Uh, you know, so yeah, take the loss out of it for a second. What we see in Shadu Sanders is a guy who, for me, he's my clear QB three right now. You know, what I've seen from him and projecting the growth and development moving forward. Uh, another really strong performance this past week. 
you know, wide receiver, three honorable mentions. You know, I mentioned them before, but Keon Colby, if you watch his highlights from this past weekend against Syracuse, some of the ridiculous plays. He had this one-handed catch where he went up and get it. Uh, I don't know who was talking about him. I don't know if it was the broadcast or, you know, in the studio afterward. Somebody compared him to Brandon Marshall. I don't love that comparison. I think he's a much more athletic player than Brandon Marshall. I almost look at Keon Coleman, and I think like of a more athletic version of T. Higgins in terms of his ability to win vertically down the field. I just think he's got a lot more explosiveness than even a guy like T. Higgins, but he's got that size frame. He's got the ability to win at the catch point, go up and get it. Uh, I haven't found my ideal comp for Keon Coleman yet. I don't see Brandon Marshall, who was much more a guy who won with his strength and physicality, not a guy who won a ton vertically down the field. I think Keon Coleman fits more of that traditional guy who can win vertically down the field. Like I said, I think that I think him and Romo Dunze are now in the mix to be wide receiver too. Like I love Malik Neighbors and he's my wide receiver too right now. And I love, you know, Amika Agbukwa, but what Odunze and Coleman are doing, I think you're going to, it's going to be a pick your choice. You know, some people are going to look at Odunze and Coleman, I think could have them as their second or third wide receiver in this class, pushing down neighbors and some of the other guys we thought maybe were ahead of them before the year started. And then we've talked a lot about the Washington wide receivers, obviously Odunze, Jalen McMillan. We also got to talk about James Polk, you know, six catches, 118 yards, one touchdown. Another guy's putting together, you know, a very strong season and Washington, I think you can easily make the case that they got the best wide receiver trio one to three I think it's debatable about one two a couple of teams there really you know can stake their claim to the top two wide receiver duos but trio of wide receivers you know what Polk brings to the table there on top of Odunze and, and Jalen McMillan I think makes them easily the, the 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 best trio of wide receivers and he's a draftable prospect as well maybe an early day three for Polk around one for Odunze and potentially a day two for Jalen McMillan so you know really strong group there for Washington. If we take this at a Demi slant, just two names uh, I want to talk about today, and that's from that Colorado-Stanford game from last Friday night. You know, what Travis Hunter continues to do, 13 catches, 140 yards, and two touchdowns, it's going to be fascinating how the NFL views him. Do they view him as a wide receiver? Do they view him as a cornerback? Do they view him as a guy that could legitimately at the next level play bold at times? Not to maybe the level that he's doing in college, but I mean, he's showing amazing endurance to to play on both sides there. So it's going to be really interesting to kind of see how he's viewed by NFL teams. What position, you know, do they prefer him at? What position do they want him out? What does he want to play? Does he want to dabble on both sides? But then does that limit his ceiling maybe by, you know, not focusing all his attention? But, you know, what he's doing this year, enjoy the ride this year, enjoy the ride next year before he's probably a lockdown uh, top 10 pick the following year. And, and we'll see for what position. And then, you know, I, I got to get some more game film on a league, uh, A.O. Manor out of Stanford. But when you when you catch 13 passes for 294 yards and three touchdowns and now have over 500 yards and four touchdowns in the season, you know, I need to I need to look into him a little bit more because this was my introduction to the sophomore wide receiver. And when you put up that type of style, and I don't care who the defense is or, or lack thereof, you know, but. But you put up those performances, he had some amazing catches, you know, so it wasn't just like, you know, inflated yards. He was doing a lot in that game. He was making some spectacular catches. So stock up on him for sure. Uh, Travis Hunter continues to to just amaze me with, with what he's doing on both sides there as well. Let's take this off of the college game and head to the NFL side of things. And let's start with the NFL rookie report for this past week. 
couple things at the quarterback position. News tonight here sounds like Anthony Richardson is going to be done for the season and, and surgery is expected. So that's a bummer because he, you know, one of, I was one of his biggest supporters, never expected him to, to come out and, and light the NFL up like he did in his first couple starts there, but he struggled to stay on the field. And now the rest of his rookie season look, appears to be lost, which is frustrating from all different perspectives, obviously for the player himself, the young man get injured uh, for the Colts fans, for the Colts franchise, uh, not be able to get him more development this year, you know, more acclimated to the NFL, obviously for fantasy. I mean, this was a guy who was maybe going to put together a top five redraft year. And how high was he going to push his way into dynasty QB ranks? I think it was a legitimate question. Now, while he's still going to be very high, we just have to temper enthusiasm a little bit because, you know, he's going to come back from an injury. There's still a lot of growth and development. There's still a lot of getting comfortable. But what this what this does do is Indianapolis now understands what they got to build around him, what they got to give him to to hit the ground running next year and potentially be an elite player and get Indianapolis back into you know the division race and the playoff mix for next year. C.J. Stroud, uh, the numbers aren't gaudy: thirteen of twenty-seven, hundred ninety-nine yards and two touchdowns. But he was going up against a good New Orleans Saints defense. Houston finds a way to win again. They're three and three. When they made that trade last year, you know, to get Stroud and Will Anderson and gave up a bounty to move back up to get Anderson after they took Stroud at two. You know, there was a lot of questions. And I really, I questioned the, the move and I still question it for the pass rusher. But I think they kind of were looking at them as a duo that they didn't want to leave the draft without. And my reservations were they gave up that first round pick. What if they were terrible this year and they gave the rights to, you know, Drake May or Caleb Williams? But it looks like they found their franchise guy. So, like, yeah, you can make the case they could have got him and then not made the trade for the pass rusher, you know, but they're, they wanted to cre- have an identity on both sides. And, you know, yeah, it was an aggressive move up for a non quarterback. But, you know, what Stroud's doing is going to make it worth their investment because. If they lock down that position, then Will Anderson becomes, you know, an elite edge rusher. The arguably the two most important positions, maybe left tackle in the mix there with edge rusher. You know, they could have potentially found in this past, you know, draft. And, and you know, listen, they're in the mix in that division. They play hard. They're coached well. Uh, and Stroud continues to show that all the narrative about his game, the questions about him, you know, probably all for. All, all for naught, and he's answered them early and often this year. You know, you look at Carolina making the big move up to get Bryce Young. I don't think anybody right now would prefer Bryce Young over Anthony Richardson, even with the injury to Richardson and TJ Shroud. So Carolina made the big, bold move up, and it looks like the, the first quarterback taken, you know, I think there's a lot of question marks about whether or not, you know, if you could, if they, Carolina could ever redo right now, I think they would take either Anthony Richardson or CJ Shroud over Bryce Young. Uh, and that's not ideal when you make that bold move up. And I still like Bryce Young, the player, but, you know, just based on what we've seen and how quickly Richardson acclimated, how quickly Stroud acclimated, and then they have the more physical capabilities, you know, I, I think speaks volumes on, on what they could become. Uh, the running back position, you know, I want to talk about B. John a little bit because not getting a lot from the, the rookies at the running back position. Jameer Gibbs is hurt. Uh, Kendra Miller not really playing much. You know, most of them, you know, not having a big role. And I think the thing about B. John is, you know, I was read the the Hilltop thing in that he could be in the mix to be RB1 this season. And he's just not producing elite numbers. He 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 often gets taken off the field 
in goal line situations so many times from the one or two yard line, he's either not on the field and Tyler Algiers in there, or he's lined up out wide and the land that's kind of getting cute. Like they're kind of using him almost like he's like a, you know, a space player or a scat back or a change of pace back at times, just in terms of the use. I understand again, the total usage is, is great when you take into the receiving work, but I, I feel like they're not re- like using him enough in between the tackles and not using him enough in goal line and short yardage. And P. John Robinson is a beast. Like, you know, like he's Saquon Barkley esque. Like, he's not a guy like who, like Devin A. Chang, yeah, you're not, you don't want that. Jameer Gibbs, you don't want that. But I don't know why B. I don't know why. I feel like Atlanta's getting a little too cute sometimes uh, inside the, you know, the one, two, three yard line. And I just give the ball to B. John Robinson. Like, that, if you're not going to use him there, why would you invest the, the pick that high on him? Like, he's their, he's their franchise player. He's the guy who the offense should be built around. And I feel like they're, he's just not getting enough touches when they're near the, the, the end zone. And, and I think it bit them, you know, in behind a few times this year. Uh, and, and I just don't think he's going to put up the statistical fantasy year that me and, and many other people expected. I think he's still on RB1, but I thought he was locked in top three, top four with the ability to be number one overall this year. And we haven't seen the usage that's going to produce that just yet on the shaky offense at best. And that he doesn't seem like he's going to be in position to score a lot of touchdowns. Or when the year started, I, I thought like 10 rushing touchdowns was almost the floor for him this year. Uh, you know, I, I thought like 2,000 total yards and 10 touchdowns were very much in play. And I don't think we're going to be seeing that. Uh, the pass catchers, let's start with the tight end position. With Michael Mayer finally getting involved there. You know, we've seen glimpses of Dalton Kincaid this year be productive. We've seen glimpses of Luke Musgrave. Obviously, Laporte has been amazing. But it was nice to see Michael Mayer five catches, 75 yards, and get involved there. At the wide receiver position, you know, still waiting on Jackson Smith and the Jigba's role to grow. But right now, Gino, I watch most of that Seattle game. Gino Smith is really struggling right now. And I, I, I don't know if people, like, are giving him the benefit of the doubt. But, like, you know, he's got a lot of weapons there. And he's looked shaky at best this year. And, and right now, they just, you know don't have a big role and when we when they he got drafted there we all said okay this is gonna I guess they're gonna be a different offense not less two tight ends more you know 11 personnel and we just haven't seen that a lot and it makes you wonder like okay like why are you investing you know the 20th pick in the in the draft or 19th pick in the draft I forget what when he started the run there why are you drafting him if you're not going to change the identity of your offense because you know Tyler Lockett's still very good DK Metcalf is great like you know, Jackson Smith Jigba is best in the slot. Like, you can run an offense through him as a slot wide receiver, similar to how the Rams run their offense through Cooper Cup out of the slot. But, you know, if he's not going to be playing a lot, like, it, it just makes the pick very dubious. And if they're going to continue to be reluctant to play more three wide receiver sets, it, it just it, it just raises questions about, you know, what was that pick about? And, you know, has something changed? Has it been the the old line? Has it been Gino? Like what has limited them utilizing him more when they obviously invested such a high pick in him? Uh Jordan Addison's first game without, you know, Justin Jefferson in the mix there because of the injury. Only had four tag four targets. He did score a touchdown. He's just not being being used as a like three level player, a guy who can win, you know, at the line of scrimmage and make players miss. A guy who can win the short, the intermediate range, and then a guy who could also hit vertical shots down the field. You know, right now he's kind of struggling a little bit with man-to-man coverage. If you look at some of like the next-gen stats, uh, better against zone coverage. Uh, but in that first game, he didn't become the focal point of the offense where when you take a guy in the first round and then Justin Jefferson goes down, 
I think they kind of want Jordan Addison to emerge. That's going to be interesting to follow that. You know, one of my biggest questions with this wide receiver class last year was, is everybody more suited to be, you know, a good number two wide receiver? And is anybody better than a low-end fantasy wide receiver too? And nothing has changed to make me definitively think anybody is a wide receiver one on their NFL team. And nothing yet has changed to make me think anybody is more than a low-end wide receiver too is their ceiling. As much as, you know, Zay Flowers had a good week this week, 651. But, you know, is he a guy who's going to be a, a true number one at the next level? Is he a guy who's going to produce, like, you know, top 18, top 20 overall fantasy wide receiver numbers? I'm not sure. I think he's more of a low-end wide receiver two to a high wide receiver three, which is, like, I kind of think the ceiling for most of the guys from this draft class. Uh, Rishi Rice started, you know, gaining some momentum there. He's, I think, the best Chiefs wide receiver to own moving forward. Josh Downs is probably going to catch a lot of passes the rest of the year from Gardner Minshew. He had five catches, 21 yards, and a touchdown. But he's kind of developing into that slot guy. I think he could be like Hunter Renfro plus. Uh, you know, he's a guy who just finds a way to uncover and, and get open, but also has the ability to get vertical as well. If we take this to the NFL Dynasty report for this week to kind of close out the pod, a uh, couple things I want to talk about. Internally, I've been debating when I do my next quarterback updates on my positional dynasty rankings to uh, CJ Stroud, Trevor Lawrence, and Justin Field. I honestly think ranking them in dynasty right now is very hard. I think we kind of know like the Mahomes, Allen Hurts, Lamar, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Anthony Richardson. For me, that's my top seven. And I think Richardson, you know, is going to stay around seven now just because of the injury. But to me, you know, that next group there of, I have right, my, previously I had ranked it number eight, Trevor Lawrence, number nine, Tua, number 10, Justin Fields, and then I moved up CJ Stroud. Last time I did an update to number 11, once he got off to a pretty good start, but I think ranking them is really hard. I honestly think right now, if, if you're looking at like a two to three year window, I think, it, and, and you're not willing to bake in injury concerns. I think now my next update is going to have two ahead of them with Mike McDaniel, with Tyree Kill, with Jalen Waddell, that offense. And then I think I would probably do Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, followed by C.J. Stroud. I think C.J. Stroud very much, like he's, he's performing way better in his rookie year than Trevor Lawrence did. Way better than Justin Fields. Now, he doesn't have the running component. But Justin Fields, after two great games, a little dose of reality this past week, and then he got hurt. We don't know what his future holds. If Chicago has an opportunity for Caleb Williams or Drake Bain, they're probably going to pull the trigger. And then where does that leave Justin Fields? So maybe having him at 10 is a little a little bit too risky. Maybe I, he should be a little bit further down. It's hard to put him much further down. So I think ranking that Tua, Trevor, Fields, and Stroud is a really interesting mix before, you know, we kind of get Kyler Murray there into the mix, Brock Purdy, you know, those guys. Uh, I, I think you're with there and Kyler Murray once he gets back and playing we'll see if his if he's going to be in Arizona for the long haul you know he can move right back up that list as well uh, you know but right now he's kind of sitting there you know right with those guys but but it kind of almost on a separate you know tier right now until we see him get back into play and what his future holds uh, second big storyline I think Brees Hall right now is Dynasty RB2 and if he finishes out the year really strong and we don't see B. John put up these gaudy numbers, I don't think it's unrealistic. I don't think it's crazy to, to even make the argument that he could be RB1 in Dynasty. You know, the Dalvin Cook experiment is already over. Uh, Brees Hall is getting full work. 
you know, what we saw last year in glimpses, what we've seen this year in glimpses is a guy who's in a, 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 got the ability to be elite RB in fantasy and elite RB in the NFL landscape. You know, so yeah, I'll still have B. John there right now, but to me, Brees Hall's got to go over, you know, Jonathan Taylor. He's got to go over the other guys there, Christian McCaffrey, you know, whoever you else you want to put there. For for me, you know, maybe you can make the case if you're looking to like go a, a two year window, Christian McCaffrey still. I can understand that. Uh, if you're going a little bit past that, you know, I think Brees Hall should be ahead of even Christian McCaffrey. You know, so we thought maybe it would be a slow return to dominance for Brees Hall, or maybe he'd be in a work share committee this this whole year, and that would kind of hinder, you know, one of his prime years, because from running back, these are the prime years, their first contract, and maybe, you know, one or two years into their second contract. Uh, but But he's back, it looks like. DeAndre Swift, you know, continues to show that the Eagles made a brilliant move, bringing him over for like a fourth round pick, like two drafts from now or something, maybe 2025. You know, but be careful. While his stock is soaring in Dynasty right now, he is a free agent after the year. Are the Eagles going to invest high, heavy money in him? They have a lot of guys on their team, a lot of really good picks that, that, that their contract's going to come up. You know, do they try to lock him down for like a David Montgomery type contract or a little bit less than that? You know, five million a year, six million a year for a couple of years. But but they didn't have any interest in doing that to Miles Sanders. Do they want to do that for DeAndre Swift? Or do they say, you know what, let him sign somewhere else. We'll get that fourth round pick back as a compensatory pick. And then we'll figure it out moving forward, right? Whether it's a draft pick, whether it's another trade. They're very, you know, proactive and very modernized approach with positional value and 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 forward thinking. So it's going to be interesting, right? DeAndre Swift's stock way up, and people want to be excited about him because he's a guy that many of us really love. So it's nice to see him living up to that potential when so many of those other ones in that draft class have not. But just be careful. He's a get for right now and enjoy the benefits of this year. But don't look too far out with DeAndre Swift because we don't really know what that future holds. Uh, if I had an opportunity right now to sell Devontae Adams and get good or above market value, I would. Like, I know he's still great, but that offense has a lot of question marks. I'm not sure he's even going to be there next year. I think if the Raiders were smart, they'd try to sell him now and, and maximize his value and see who offers the most in season. Uh, but I think now might be a good time unless you're like, an elite team as a contender, I think now might be the right time to get out of the, the Devontae Adams business and see, you know, how much uh, he can bring back in a trade. And then we talked about the quarterback rankings that are, that are tough. I think the top of the wide receiver rankings after Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase are equally challenging. Ranking A.J. Brown, C.D. Lamb, Amon Ross, St. Brown, you know, in some order, maybe for three, four, five in Dynasty, if, if you know, you, if you want Patari Kill up there, you know, until he retires and, and we'll see. He said he's not going to play that much longer, but, you know, he probably deserves to be up there if you're looking at this in a two or three year window. But if you're going with a little bit more youth there in Brown, Lamb, or Amonra, I think it's really hard to rank them right now. And I probably would have it. I think AJ Brown deserves to be ahead of that list. I think right now he deserves to be ahead of CD Lamb and ahead of Amonra St. Brown. Uh, I think ranking C.D. Lamb and Amon Ross St. Brown are really tough right now. Uh, we don't know, you know, long-term, who does, is C.D. Lamb connected to Dak Prescott? We don't know. Is Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, connected to Jared Goff? Those are unknowns right now. 
I think they're both best when they're inside the slot. I think they both have shown the ability to play on the outside just fine as well. Uh, I might slight lean is C.D. Lamb, but we've seen him on Ross St. Brown, I think, be a better player in the NFL right now. You know, so maybe, you know, maybe they should be, you know, swapped there a little bit, but obviously both great. But I think the big thing is A.J. Brown, I think, should be ahead of both of them right now in that Eagles offense, just the way he wins, the way he dominates at times. Uh, I, I think there's a little bit of a differential between him and C.D. Lamb and Amon Ra on the football field. And I think in the, in terms of consistency, in terms of fantasy, I, I think it's showing up as well. But I think that's a fun debate for sure. Uh, once Jeff gets back on with me, if we don't have any like big storylines, I would love to kind of pick his brain about these quarterbacks and, and these wide receivers that I ranked on this episode. Just kind of get another perspective uh, from his side. So there it is, guys. Another NFL Dynasty report for week six. Another NFL rookie report as well. Then obviously the Debbie Slant and the NFL draft report for week seven of the college football season. If you're enjoying this content, please get over to the website, rate, review, and subscribe. Check out our premium notebooks for $9.99. You get access to all of our premium content. It significantly helps us continue to do what we do here uh, at Saturday, Sunday, and bring you the coverage that we do. If you've bought it in the past, we hope you consider to purchase it again. If you've been a long-time listener or a new listener but never purchased it, uh, we hope you're willing to check it out for $9.99. Uh, you really get a lot of content for sure. And all full details on that, just check it all out or reach out to me on Twitter. But the website kind of details everything step-by-step step in, in terms of what it entails. So, on behalf of sound tech engineer David Nakano and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward to next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday. <laughs>